Thanks for tuning into my new show, Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People. I'm Steve Ray, author of the book, How to Get U.S. Market Ready. And in my previous podcast, I shared some of the lessons I've learned from 30 years in the wine and spirits business, helping brands enter and grow in the U.S. market. This series will be dedicated to the personalities who have been working in the Italian wine sector in the U.S., their experiences, challenges, and personal stories. I'll uncover the roads that they walked, shedding light on current trends, business strategies, and their unique brands. This episode is proudly sponsored by Vivino, the world's largest online wine marketplace. The Vivino app makes it easy to choose wine. Enjoy expert team support, door-to-door delivery, and honest wine reviews to help you choose the perfect wine for every occasion. Vivino, download the app on Apple or Android and discover an easier way to choose wine. Hi, this is Steve Ray, and welcome to this week's edition of Get U.S. Market Ready with Italian Wine People on the Italian Wine Podcast. My guest this week is uh, an old friend in the industry, uh, somebody who has a great reputation in Italian wine, Nunzio Castaldo, who is uh, head of Panabianco Wines now and also had a, a very long career uh, building the Italian wine portfolio with uh, Winebow. Nunzio, welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve, and uh, hello to everyone that is listening. Yes, my name is Nunzio Castaldo, and I started in the business about 35 years ago. My career is very, I would say, like... A, strange because uh, I only work for, with the two companies in this uh, in these years. Uh, one is uh, Winebow and the other one is Panabianco Wines. I worked for Winebow organization for 32 years almost and uh, since uh, 2017 or 18 actually um, I acquired a small company called the Panabianco now Panabianco Wines. Okay. And uh, tell us a little bit about Panabianco, just kind of a, an overview of uh, the kinds of wines you handle, the number, the type of business that you do, where you do it, and so forth. Gladly. Panabianco Wines is a, a small company. It's a, what they consider a boutique wine company. Panabianco Wines was uh, founded by a gentleman that now has passed, Livio Panabianco, which I had a great uh, respect, and I admired him for... Uh, for his uh, sense of uh, scouting and uh, tastings and palates. Panabianco was founded, uh, as I said, you know, 25 years ago. Has been always uh, based in uh, New York City. For the past 24 and a half years, only uh, distribute and imported Italian wines. Now Panabianco is a little bit different since I acquired the company. Uh, we are distributing also non-Italian wines in New York and New Jersey directly with our sales force. We have a selection of uh, Italian wines that we bring outside the borders of these two states. And presently, we are about 12 or 13 states that, you know, that where we consider third-party distributors. And what states were they all to the West Coast, or are they concentrated on the Northeast and Atlantic? Mostly on the East Coast. You know, we would like to consolidate first the, uh, the East Corridor, what we call. Uh, so we are in New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Connecticut. Uh, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Kentucky, Illinois, Missouri, uh, Florida, and soon we are going to be in the middle of the Middle Atlantic. We are also in D.C., but uh, we are organizing a little bit better the, the D.C., Maryland, 
Okay, talk a little bit about the on-off-premise mix. I mean, early on, uh, the you guys, I believe, were very on-premise focused, and obviously that business has taken a big hit. How have you pivoted and responded to that, and what impact has that had on the business? Good question. I have to say that you know that uh, when the pandemic forced us to have the first lockdown, March 2020. We were uh, really in a dark hole because uh, our revenue was responsible for 80% on-premise and 20% off-premise. That is the direct distribution. And that time we had only two distributors and not almost uh, 12 like now. So it was a very scary moment for the company. But we reorganized ourselves. We brought in some brands that would be more useful for the off-premise. And uh, little by little, we ramped up to from 20 to 40% on the off-premise, and now we are 60% on on-premise. So that really saved us from this uh, very deep curve that we had in our, uh, in our business. What were the criteria used for deciding which brands to bring in to ramp up this off-premise part of the business? The criteria was very, um, I would say, articulated because uh, we couldn't really bring in uh, uh, wines that, you know, that they were... Uh, less expensive what we had because our reputation was, uh, and it still is, a, a hub of uh, brands, wines, uh, that they are uh, unique, rare, and uh, true to the territory. And uh, that's why we like uh, to work with the producers that you know, that they're involved with the farming uh, that are biodynamic or organic or sustainability process. So uh, we had to go to, you know, to brands like that as our mission is, it is what it is. But we basically um, changed a little bit of the, you know, the the search, meaning that we had, you know, we went after commodity wines. So San Giovese, Chianti Classico, Chianti di OCG, Pinot Grigio, and uh, and then after that Prosecco and Nero Davola, Greco, and so on, and Falangina. But always kept the same type of approach, going to the current producers that we had or a new one and say, we would like to have these wines if you have it with organic process rather than uh, go and have a discounts. Because at the end of the day, there's, there's going to be always someone that it will be less expensive than you. You know, and that is a lost war in our world. Okay, interesting. So uh, following on that point, we've talked about the impact that, that this whole thing the COVID thing has had on your industry. What do you see as the changes that are happening in the industry overall, uh, not just the ones that that impact you, and are factoring into where you're planning to take the company in the future? Well, that is a million dollar question. Obviously, the future, you know, for us at this moment, especially for organizations like ours, which they're still connected to families and to employees that you know that that more passionate than you know than. Uh, than salespeople, I would say that you know that uh, we want and we would like to be still focused on what we believe in it. So, representing families, terroirs, um, varietals, as I said before, that you know that we can bring it to the American people with you know with uh, with that kind of a diversity that only the Italian uh, Italian territory we can represent. Our goal is to really be um, a little bit more focused on the pockets of the market. And I explain what I mean by that. We know that you know that our portfolio is performing very well in Brooklyn, for example, rather than Queens, or uh, you know Austin, rather than uh, I don't know uh, Los Angeles. So, so we like to you know to really 
you know, close that kind of uh, distance from uh, us as a distributor to the final consumer or us as an importer to a distributor that can understand what really means the Panabianco wine selection. The future, I believe that, you know, that we needed to really looking at is uh, to get closer and closer to the final consumer. So building on that, I believe this is going to air on the first day of Wine to Wine 2021, and I'm going to be giving a presentation on uh, e-commerce and direct-to-consumer. And one of the fundamental principles that I've seen, the, the trend is, it's not going around the three-tier system because everything has to go through the three-tier system, but the responsibility of marketing um, products and communicating to uh, the retailers and ultimately to the consumers through all the new tools that we have, whether it's through e-commerce or wine-oriented websites or food and wine-oriented websites, has really changed the game. And I've identified like seven different categories of how all this stuff manifests itself with probably 10 different suppliers in each of those categories. And I know we have a lot of listeners from um, Italy and, and certainly overseas that they find the U.S. complicated and difficult now <laughs> with e-commerce entering the, the, the uh, lexicon. How are you guys addressing that? And are you um, dipping your toe in the water? Thank you for that question. First of all, if somebody is, uh, is confused and is very, I would say, um, scared about the, the American market should read your book, you know, because uh, it's a very self-explanatory and uh, kudos to you that you, know, that you put together such a beautiful explanations. But uh, still is a very uh, difficult to penetrate in this, uh, in, uh, this market even though it's the number one market for Italian wines at this point, especially for certain type of wines. So we have the kind of responsibility as Italian producer to look at this market in every single you know, perspective possible and catch you know, the minimum opportunity to get in because only if you are in, in this market, you are part of it, the export, the design that you have for your company. That is what I will say to a producer. The other thing that, you know, that is important, thanks to this uh, new, I would say, social media revolution, is that uh, we needed to be, uh, we are, more and more, closer to the final consumer, as I said before. The, the consumer that drinks the wine, that buys the wines, and they comment on the wine. That is the key for the next future, you know. I would say that, you know, that... Uh, According to what we have to respect as an importer and distributors for the uh, three-tier system, I would say protocols, we can do very little to go after that kind of a consumption. So that's why, as I said before, we needed to find the right partners. You know, if he's a distributor, if he's a retailer, so if he's a wine, uh, wine director or sommelier that can transport you know, what we choose to bring in the United States to the table or to the home now, of, uh, of the final consumer. So yes, it is still something that, you know, that we are trying to mold, but I think that in COVID was an accelerated because that process was already placed and it was already in motion before March 2020. So one of the ways I like to say it is, is to get people, normal people who buy wine to tell your story in their words to their friends. I mean, that's what social media is all about. The recommendation of someone you know, or someone who has some legitimacy or accreditation, not necessarily academic, but seems to know what they're talking about. There's a million different tools out there to do it. Everything from informing them on dedicated sites like uh, Vivino or uh, Wine Searcher or 
Vine pair, as well as the ecom only sites like wine.com and uh, Paul Mabray is uh, starting on a new one called Pix, which I'm very interested in. But it's really up- upsetting kind of the, the way things are going. What kind of reaction do you hear from retailers with this uh, change in responsibility in who to communicate with and how? Well, it's a very interesting question because uh, when you go to, and I said before, you know, pockets of the market, you know, that is the key now. When you go to downtown, for example, you see that, you know, that there is a small uh, wine shop that, you know, that uh, takes pride of what selects for the shelf, for the, for the shelves or for the, for the, his customers. Those kind of stores, you know, that the, the hands-on stores, they're still performing well because they have the time, they have the culture, and they have the habits to explain about the wines. The big one, they are organizing with the, different tools you know with drizzlies for example a wine uh, a wine bar or all those platforms that you know that allows them to be exposed you know to many 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 ways and in many locations and even distance locations now you know we never really imagined you know three or four years ago and steve and i we can say that very freely that uh Uber could ship a, a bottle of wine to Upper East Side, for example, from a store, you know, especially in the crisis and the, during the pandemic. Or the restaurants could uh, sell uh, a order of pasta with a bottle of Chianti to go, you know. So things like that, they are changing the concept of how purchasing. Because at the end of the day, the consumer is uh, guided by habits. And they don't want to lose these habits now. So they, the, 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 the retailers and also us as an importer and distributor, we have to understand what is going to be the new habits because that is what will be the, uh, the, the disengagement of the old to the new way to make uh, available the wine to the final consumer. So the word I've heard that describes that is omni-channel and that's in, in all the conversation that takes place and all the influencing that takes place can happen online, can happen in store, can happen in person can happen many, many different places, which is separate and apart, but not distinct from the actual purchase. Sometimes somebody could look it up online and go to the store and buy it, or they can do click and collect or or any of these varying things, which makes data critically important. You alluded to this earlier in our conversation, uh, the value of real-time data, uh, inventory information, and, and being able to measure the results of marketing programs that you use. Now, you're not you know, a, a huge company like Winebow, which has lots of people and lots of resources to invest in these things. How do you take advantage of new opportunities? And one that I'll use as an example I've been impressed with is CityHive, which powers the e-com side of about 2,500 retailers across the country. Uh, we've been doing some pretty interesting programs with that, but a lot of it is related to the fact that you have access to real-time inventory and sales data and so can react immediately when you're doing programs. Can you comment on that? All depends on what kind of, uh, of uh, portfolio you have. And many, many companies, especially medium, large, and extra large sizes, uh, they adopt their portfolio to the target or to, to the grow of uh, their company into the market. Company like Pane Bianco Wines, and there are hundreds like, you know, like ours, like us in the States, they have to have a different approach. You know, we have to be in the market 
uh, with the wines that you know that uh, they can fit in that segment of maybe you know twenty or twenty five percent that we can uh, um, I would say um, get closer you know to a, a customers that you know that once uh, or wants to uh, have a, his customer um, having an experience rather than uh, a, a value wines and I'm, what I'm what I mean by that is this. Uh, we represent wines from uh, the smallest appellation, like a Faro, you know, in Messina, to the largest one is like, you know, like the Prosecco from Valdobbiadene. In the middle, there are the sm- the small producers like Marisa Cuomo, like um, Nanni Cope, like uh, uh, Lucy, like, um, you know, many of these small producers that they have to be still explained, still tell still you know communicated in different ways hand sold but hand sold in today's reality it isn't necessarily physically person to person yeah exactly exactly so absolutely and that is you know the challenge that we have and then for that reason our team is really formed by seasoned guys you know seasoned reps season people that they have passion people that they know the market very well so they don't have to go through the drill of uh, reaching you know the attention of a retailer that wants a eleven ninety nine product, and the, and behind you there is like a you know like a, a football team that has the same eleven ninety nine wines that you know that you are trying to sell it. So this the, our approach is a little different. You know from the moment that we search to the moment that we sell, and we hope that you know that pipeline will finish to a beautiful a great experience for the final consumer. Well expressed. Uh, that was good. Back to one of the earlier points. I kind of, we skipped over it, but I think it's really important. So your model is essentially in the New York area, self-distribution. So you've got your own sales force of people who are calling on that. Is that because of distributor consolidation? Is that because it's the model that Pano Bianco had before? Or is it because of some other reason that you feel that's the best way to sell your portfolio? Well, obviously, that, this is the reason. It's the best way you think to sell the portfolio. But it's a different model. And a lot of producers you know, are looking for an importer and then looking for distributors. And to a lot of degrees, that introduces noise or friction into communication obstacles almost. Can you comment on that, about how you're structured? Sure, sure. Speaking about the Italian producers, there are thousands of producers that, you know, that they don't have a voice. They don't have a chance to be in the United States markets if there will not be Pane Bianco wines importer or distributors. And this can be in Portola, Oregon, on Charleston, or anywhere else, you know, between San Francisco and New York. So we take a very, you know, very serious, you know, the that kind of um, message, you know, and, and project and the business that we want to bring. We have about 48 producers and um, maybe only about 10 of those producers, they reach more than, uh, I would say, like a 50,000 cases productions. So our target, as I said before, is very clear. You know, we would like to have a, first, we want to study the appellation, then the family. You know, we like to work with the multi-generational people in the, in the company. And varietals, you know, that are not very difficult to sell, but they are very, I would say, curious from the from the consumers now than before. Like Pallagrello Nero, like uh, I don't know Casa Vecchia, or maybe you know the, uh, the 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 Catalanesca from Vesuvio, for example. So 
that's what we are messaging, you know, and uh, it's very difficult, you know, sometimes to compete with the big guys, you know, obviously, and I was part of that. Uh, and you know that quite well. <laughs> you did it for many years. Maybe, maybe, you know, I have a little bit of a Trojan horse in that kind of, uh, you know, system that I can play with. But I like to, you know, to really think that, you know, that uh, Panabianco Wines is one of the companies that is still needed, you know, for, uh, first of all, for the producers, but also for uh, the consumers that once again, I'm going to use a, a word that is very important, especially nowadays, for the right experience. If they cannot go to Italy, we can bring Italy to them. Do you want to elaborate? I've, I love that concept. If they can't go to Italy, let's bring Italy to them. How do you do that? Well, um, I believe that, you know, that uh, um, nowadays you can be, you know, um, sitting in your couch at 11 o'clock at night and uh, scrolling your social media, you know, networks and it could be um, anywhere you know especially instagram and you scroll you know scroll and scroll you know all those images and videos and of amalficos of capri or even you know portofino or even dolomites you know and you want to be there you know you miss that because uh, you know we've been uh, really gauged you know for the past two years in this um, horrible situation and we cannot wait you know to spring out you know once again and that is what you know with uh, wines and food and uh, is uh, you know a good instrument you know a good uh, tools you know to to use that kind of or to keep that kind of a link or bridge that kind of a aspiration and desire so how can you do that is uh, well that is uh, that's the is uh, the uh, you know the challenge we don't have the manpower, you know, to obviously to, you know, to invest in a big, huge social media marketing, you know, plan. But, you know, at the end of the day, our world, you know, is still about networking. And little by little, little by little, you cramp up, you know, and, re, you, know, and, and you have more people that, you know, that they like your Marisa Cuomo, Furore Bianco, and you built on that. You know, there are more people that, you know, they like, you know, this Capo di Stato from... Our Loredana Gasparin with a French Bordeaux style from Italy, and you ramp on that. So it's a, a day by day, bottle by bottle business. No, that part of it hasn't changed. You know, <laughs> I want to introduce here an interesting story. I didn't participate in it, but somebody told me the story. They were talking to somebody and they asked them, Have you ever been to Italy? And the guy says, Why would I want to go to Big Italy? I got Little Italy right here. <laughs> <laughs> so to, to comment on your point about if we can't bring them to Italy, can we bring Italy to them? That's kind of, they brought it along with them as um, immigrants and it's established itself kind of as a, you know, Italian in America, as you know, coming from Southern Italy is very different from um, Italy as it is now. Uh, and certainly it, it, Italy as it is in all the various regions. A lot of people who eat, uh, you know, uh, red gravy, uh, you'd never find that in the North, as you know. So, uh, so out of all the things that we talked about, we're kind of running tight on time here. So I want to jump to a conclusion of, is there anything or what is the one thing somebody could take away from this, this conversation that they could put to use immediately, not necessarily uh, run this program or do this, but uh, perhaps a philosophy of um, how to approach sales of Italian wines in America in a post-COVID world and an internet-driven post-COVID world? Well, first of all, um, I would like to give an advice to, you know, to the consumers that are listening to us this morning. 
during COVID, I I received many uh, during COVID, the pandemic, you know, um, time. I received many calls and says, listen, so what kind of wine I should taste? You know, you know what what we should do? You know, when are we entertaining us and uh, as a family? Blah blah blah. And and I, I know and I advise them um, in a very simple way. Listen, you want to have a really a good experience and a good like you know fun time. You know, just go online. You know, like I said before, now we have this kind of uh, advancement. Go go online and uh, buy six bottles different than the others. You know, spend between fifteen to twenty-five dollars, and and three whites, three reds. You cover the bottles. You and you open with you know with your friend, and and you can find you know some really cool things because Italian wines, you know, if all then you know brings one thing diversity and value you can spend like 15 20 25 dollars and really you know you know drink for a bottle of wine that you know that uh, you think that is at 50 or 60 dollars the good thing that happened during the pandemic and the staying home time is that you know that the consumers now finally they approach the more expensive wines with less money you know and the I would like to elaborate on that. You know, the consumers, you know, they, they went to restaurants to, I don't know, to discover Etna wines or Bulgari wines or or, or even, uh, you know, Barolo and Barbaresco for that matter, you know. And spending, they had to spend between uh, 60 to $160 of the wine, you know, for a bottle of wine. Now, you know, they find out that, you know, they can have the same bottle of wines from 40 to $80. And if you are like, you know, with the two or your roommate or with the two couples in a, in a part of a stock because you cannot get out, you order the, you know, you order the food and you order the wines that you, you drank at the restaurants, pay maybe twice or maybe three times. So that it was a good uh, I would say training, gym training for the wine palates, you know, because now we elevated the quality and the expertise and the, and the pleasure of your uh, palate. And that is what I was referring before, because at the end of the day, human being doesn't want to give up what he likes, if it's bad, good or worse, and for your health, you know, or for anything. So, and they, they are looking now to, you know, to those kind of wines. And they discovered that if they spend $25, you know, $20 for a bottle of wine, let's say like a Sauvignon Blanc from Alto Adige, they discover a new world with the less money. And that is a good thing for us. Good thing for the producers, good thing for, you know, for the Italian wines in general, good thing for importers and distributors and so on. Because, and that's what we need to go to the market with. Value and experience and most of all diversity. Uh, you used a, a critical word, and um, we hear it all the time with uh, all all the conversation that's going on on the web is discovery and stories. People want to discover new things, discover new things to them. Used to be that you could go into a uh, wine and spirits store and ask the guy who may never have been to Italy, but he knows enough to say, "Well, try this, try this Valangina," which you never would have heard about, much less have encountered before. And we're pretty lucky because we get to go to all these tastings. Um, and taste all of these wonderful wines. And I know a lot of people are jealous about that. But there's plenty to discover out, outside the, the range of the 300 or 400 varietals you and I might have. Been. So discovery is kind of, a, I think, a, a, a big thing. And the more we can reinforce 
discovery by the positioning of information in places that people already gather. So if they're going for an education on wine to VinePair, then getting your messaging on VinePair. Same thing with Wine Searcher. And one of the recommendations I make, kind of answering my own question here, is for everybody to make sure your, optim your brands are optimized online. And by that, I mean, look at how your brand appears on Vivino, on uh, Wine Searcher, on uh, VinePair, on even Liquor.com and all of these others. Do they have the current vintage? Do they have the correct label? Is it high resolution? Does it appear well? Do you have your current scores? All those kinds of things are things that you can impact and change. And there's a different way to do it for each and every one. So I can't go into that. But the point is you're responsible for how people see your brand. It's not something that you can delegate to the importer. Now that puts a lot of burden on you guys as the importer to do that. And I I see a lot of people pushing it back to the supplier. But at the end of the day, I think it's a mission critical thing. You need to be, it, it's the equivalent of a, a floor display in a liquor store, right? If you see it on the web and the picture is squished because the aspect ratio was wrong, no one's going to buy that wine. And if you didn't know that was happening, you know, that's a barrier to sales. I, I agree with you 100%. And that we no, no, but you're an expert as we are, you know, so in this kind of, a, you know, um, I would say dynamic that uh, only the United States offers because, you know, we have a, we have a very uh, atypical system here, you know, um, so importers and, uh, and the distributors, they have to rely on these uh, filters, you know, if it's uh, retailers or uh, or. Or, wine, um, or restaurants, but at the end of the day, I do believe that you know that uh, Italy has uh, or Italian wines has a, a great, great uh, opportunity. We have to always remember that you know that for every four bottles that we drink in the United States, three bottles are American wines, and one bottle is from uh, import. And thanks to the Pinot Grigio, Prosecco, and uh, Moscato, you know, out of that bottle, one third is Italian wines. So it's a very difficult that you know that uh, you go to a store uh, uh, or your local retailer and you don't see Italian wines. What I encourage you know the new consumers is uh, to be a little bit daring. You know when you find a bottle of uh, like you say the Falangina or it can be Nerello Mascalese or it could be a Cannonau or even a Grignolino, just take that bottle home. Of course it cannot be like it, but if you like it you will discover a new world in front of you, a really new world. And uh, if you do, just, uh, you know, put uh, the picture on the on, uh, on Instagram and because that is the only way that the, you can help us as a consumer to bring more and more those uh, wines that, you know, that they are so fun to drink. Well, thank you for your comments, Nunzio. This has been um, a special pleasure to talk to you and an insight into uh, a side of the business not often recognized is the small guys who really can make a difference in the wine industry in communicating, you know, closer directly to consumers. Um, so I want to thank you for joining me and sharing your time with me. And uh, I look forward to seeing you either in New York or in Italy sometime soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Steve, for inviting me and to give uh, the voice of a small and very dedicated and passionate producers that we're dealing with every day. And I thank you all to listening to, you know, to the, to us because uh, more you listen, more you're curious and more you drink Italian wines. Arrivederci.
This is Steve Ray. Thanks again for listening on behalf of the Italian Wine Podcast. everybody. Italian Wine Podcast celebrates its fourth anniversary this year, and we all love the great content they put out every day. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People has become a big part of our day, and the team in Verona needs to feel our love. Producing the show is not easy, folks. Hurting all those hosts, getting the interviews, dropping the clubhouse recordings, not to mention editing all the material. Let's give them a tangible fan hug with a contribution to all their costs. Head to ItalianWinePodcast.com and click Donate to show your love. 